You're listening to the Back Home Network, presented by Homefield Apparel. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 276th edition of Assembly Call Radio and our 899th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of December 29th, 2022. I am your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud Banner Moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Smart takes the shot. This week's Banner Moment occurred on Monday when Indiana, despite so much consternation percolating within the fan base, actually moved up in the AP poll to number 16. This marks the seventh straight week Indiana has been ranked. The Hoosiers opened the season at number 13, peaked at number 10, and fell to number 18 before this week's bump. The last time Indiana even appeared in the AP Top 25 was 2019, Archie's second season, when Romeo, Jawan, and pre-concussion Rob Finnessy led Indiana to a 12-2 start before the season collapsed in on itself with one of the worst losing streaks in program history. You have to go all the way back to 2016-17 to find the last time Indiana was ranked for at least seven consecutive weeks. Obviously, that season didn't end as hoped either. But please, for the moment, ignore the obvious parallels between where those disappointing teams stood on December 29th and where this one does. We'll discuss whether the glass is half full or half empty in segment two. The larger point here is that 21 months after being booed off the court at the Big Ten tournament, Indiana is back solidly in the top 25 and looking ahead to a Big Ten season in which the parts and pieces seem to be in place for the Hoosiers to compete for an upper echelon conference finish and solid NCAA tournament seed. If the Hoosiers can build on the positives from this season's start and learn from the losses, the next few months still offer the hope of being the most fun IU fans have had since the second half of the 2015-16 season. So while replacing X will be no easy task, and there are some red flags we're all concerned by, the bottom line is that Indiana has itself in a good position heading into 2023. It'll be up to the coaches and players to reverse recent trends and build on their solid start. But it sure is nice to be entering the heart of Big Ten play already in the top 25, rather than needing to scratch and claw just to sniff it. That's progress. And now it's time for Mike Woodson, Trace Jackson Davis, and these Hoosiers to show that progress can continue. All right, now let me introduce my co-host this week. Ryan and Andy are both off. Hopefully they're having uh, lovely nights, whatever they're doing. But here with me, he is a longtime high school basketball coach in the great state of Indiana, the founder of Delphi Bracketology. Uh, and boy, his Iowa Hawkeyes are, uh, are really struggling. It's the coach. <laughs> he remembers the days when a movie cost a dollar. Heaven help you if you ever decide to pop your collar. Play hard, but remember, fake hustle is a crime. He's the coach and it's not Sony time. We have successfully bullied him into just using generic cups now during the show. Yeah, that's a road to the final four <laughs> cup, like right. 15 years old. So hopefully we get to the final four. That's right. Um, 
No, I, I take this time away from Indiana basketball to to try to just re readjust uh, where I see the team, and so that I can be positive uh, about uh, the Indiana basketball team. There is no doubt that Indiana basketball is better uh, now than it was two years ago in a lot of different areas. Uh, even if there are some questions about starting lineup and offense and defense that we'll discuss throughout the show tonight, but. I'm not sure that the expectations that I started to get at the beginning of the year, a lot of people had in the off season where this was a top caliber Big Ten team and a, and a Final Four team. Uh, I, I don't see that anymore uh, with some of the concerns that we have, but that doesn't mean Indiana can't have a good season. Um, moving from where they were when Coach Woodson took over to making the tournament last year to hopefully not having to stress on Selection Sunday – competing uh, in the Big Ten for the top half, top five, uh, getting in the tournament, winning a game or two would be great progress for any coach taking over a program. Yes, we have high expectations, and we want to get to the top as fast as we can, but maybe that's where this team is, is just a step up from what they did last year, especially now without Xavier. I'm readjusting back to that type of expectation so that I can enjoy these guys. Uh, as we saw with Anthony Leal doing what he's doing. Uh, these are Indiana Hoosiers. They wear the uniform that we all love to watch. And and I'm going to try to enjoy them and not be as disappointed because they're not reaching those super high expectations. So I spent this time kind of thinking about the X's and O's, uh, but appreciating the fact that we have been ranked all season. We are a four or five seed in that bracketology and we're headed for some territory that we haven't uh, been in, in quite a while. We have breaking news here on the assembly call. Michigan has lost to Central Michigan. Important to note, part of the reason for the IU optimism in the offseason was half about Indiana and what it had coming back, and half just question marks about the other Big Ten programs, which we've really seen kind of come into play here these last few weeks as the Big Ten has suffered some tough losses. Uh, so lots of Big Ten fan bases feeling that consternation right now. But also joining us tonight, ladies and gentlemen, he is a former high school basketball coach in the state of Indiana as well. He's the founder and editor of IU Film Room, which offers in-depth video analysis of your Indiana Hoosiers to our private community members. Oh, and he has a theme song. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the debut of the new Bob Thompson track for Coach Adranya. That's right, baby. Woody draws it up. Tony breaks it down. Coach, what's <laughs> on your mind? Uh, first, love love the jam there from Bob. Uh, fantastic stuff. Uh, when he sent that to me, uh, it was immediately sent to my family. Uh, you know, that's not everybody has a song written about that's it. Right. I got on. theme music. Did they play it like every time you walked in the room at Christmas? Did yes. they play that song? And my nieces and nephews are Woody draws it up. Tony breaks Tony it down. Breaks it down. <laughs> <laughs> um, happy to be here. Um, you know, I think I think this break was was necessary for everybody, you know, <laughs> players, fans, coaches. Uh you know, it was really interesting because Indiana played a lot of games in a short amount of time. Um, you know, some fairly rigorous travel, uh, you know, Vegas, Kansas, um, those types of things. And all of a sudden, you know, off almost two weeks and really good timing on it. Obviously, you know, being Christmas break and stuff is, is why it's all kind of taking place this way. But 
I mean, for a team that just lost its starting point guard, team that it's kind of been struggling, a team who almost looks like it needed to reinvent some things offensively, like this break right here um, is kind of just what the doctor ordered. And, and so I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about what Indiana is going to look like coming out of the break here. And we'll obviously talk about that here in some of our segments. But um, perfect timing for this break, I think, for all parties involved when it comes to Indiana basketball. Absolutely. Well said, Tony. All right. Well, here's what we have in store. We've got a few Hoosier headlines that we're going to walk through and kind of look ahead to Indiana's next opponent, Iowa, and talk about some of their recent performances, which haven't been very good. And then in segment two, we're going to talk glass half full, glass half empty, you know, because there's a lot of different ways that you can look at where Indiana is right now. And so we'll go around, give our thoughts. And we, of course, encourage you at home to uh, play along as we do so. And then in segment three, we will answer a few questions in our mailbag, all of that coming this week on Assembly Call Radio. But first, let's talk about our presenting sponsor. Yes, this edition of Assembly Call Radio, just like all shows on the Back Home Network, presented by our friends at Home Field Apparel, where they have the largest collection of vintage IU apparel that you will find anywhere with beloved logos like two different versions of the Bison and so many more. And what's great about Home Field is, you know, it's not just Indiana. It's not just Big Ten schools. They have schools from all over the country. And so obviously Christmas shopping is past. You're not doing that anymore. But as you're looking to pick up gifts for friends, family members, Home Field is such a great place to go. I was, you know, sharing uh, one of my neighbors is a big Kansas fan. It was her birthday and so this was before the game and they beat us. I don't think I would get her anything now. Uh, but before that, you know, got her a couple of nice shirts. She loved them. You know, I mean, the the fabric is so comfortable. And what's great about Home Field is their respect and appreciation for the traditions of college sports. And that's what they do is they go back, pull out these old, uh, you know, logos and brand marks that haven't been used. They breathe new life into them and give you something unique and interesting to wear on really comfortable clothing and all the while you're supporting an Indiana-based company that came up through the Kelly School of Business. That's why we love supporting Home Field Apparel. We appreciate their support for us, and we highly encourage you uh, to support them as well. So go to homefieldapparel.com. Use our promo code HOME, H-O-M-E, to get 15% off your first order. That's promo code HOME for 15% off. Again, the website, homefieldapparel.com. Wear one for the team. Okay. Well, gentlemen... Uh, I think we need to lead off Hoosier headlines by talking about Anthony Leal and not yet for anything he's done on the court. Obviously, Anthony has been nursing some injuries, hasn't gotten a lot of time on the court, but boy, is he making some noise off of it. Uh, hopefully everybody saw the video uh, that was shared uh, over the Christmas break of uh, <laughs> Anthony's sister uh, realizing that Anthony paid off her student loans which is just incredible. You know, and Anthony, you know, friend, I think they tweeted it out. You know, people talk bad about NIL, but without NIL, this wouldn't be possible. And I can't remember if it was just a private conversation he and I had or if it was part of the Q&A that we did for the community. But he mentioned that that was his goal with NIL was to pay off, you know, his sister's student loans, which I just thought at the time was amazing. And then to actually see it happen was just remarkable. And then you also may have seen he launched a real estate agency. So <laughs> Anthony Leal is, uh, you know, getting things done and he's getting healthy and hopefully ready to, you know, produce for the Hoosiers on the court uh, here in Big Ten play as now the backcourt has thinned out a little bit, you know, and I know we're all counting on CJ Gunn and, you know, hoping that he can step up. But, 
you know, you may need Anthony Leal's experience and veteran savvy as well. So it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, what the the second part of the Big Ten play holds. Uh, but guys, I'd love to just get your reaction. Um, you know, it's just having a guy like that, you know, I mean, you, we know how great of a teammate he is. Obviously, you see how great of a family member he is. I mean, it's just it's good having a guy like that around who's about the right things, has that kind of just, you know, humble spirit about him. Uh, just really pr- proud of Anthony. Glad he's a Hoosier. Any thoughts, yeah, Coach, you I think it's, I just think it's a, a, a great example of what NIL can do on the positive side. Uh, you know, Indiana has some really good connections with charitable organizations for NIL with one of the collectives. Um, and, and if you're going to be involved with that, which you have to be, uh, having those types of stories just helps. Um, but I, I think uh, his sister went to DePaul for a, a year or two before transferring out. Um, uh, a student here at Delphi played with her at Delphi or at DePaul. Um, and so there, there's got to be some a serious amount of money that you got to pay to go to schools like that. And, and for Anthony to do that, um, uh, getting some money, one, he's getting some good money, uh, which is good for him. And, and two, the, the whole real estate thing is something that will stay with him uh, for his entire life. And if he can make a home in Bloomington where everyone wants to go and buy real estate, uh, that that's going to be a, a nice, a nice thing. But that's a good part of the NIL. Here's a guy who, who is contributing the teammate aspect to the Indiana Hoosiers benefiting uh, from that, not just the superstar. I, I just think that's a great example of what NIL can be positively. Yeah. I, I wholeheartedly agree with both of everything that both of you have said, uh, you know, I've kind of put myself in the shoes of his parents and how Jeez. cool of a moment, uh, you know, to see that take place. And like, you know, it's kind of like, wow, I did something right. You know, that I'm sure that, 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 and a flood of emotions were overcoming his parents when that all took place. His mom tweeted, I think top five parenting moment. I'd like to see the other four. <laughs> right. Give me <laughs> the other kidding? four. <laughs> Bring her on. Let's, let's get a top yeah. five going. Um, you know, just incredible. Uh, you know, it's like, as you said, it speaks to the power of NIL. Um, it speaks to, um, you know, what it's all about, um, you know, in, in terms of just being an Indiana Hoosier and, and kind of some light in, in some dark days, if you will, of Indiana basketball, you know, just with how the team's been playing a little bit, it kind of gets you, you know, it gives you some perspective on, on just, you know, these these kids are humans and and they do a lot of really cool stuff um many much of it which we don't see um you know it's not just like one day anthony planned hey i'm gonna pay off my student loans as you said this is something that he's been thinking about for a long time Mm -hmm. and saving up and and finally kind of culminating into this so very very cool and then you know the real estate agency stuff that's awesome you know i i think jared yourself and myself uh you know entrepreneurial spirits um you know, so it's always cool to, to see others that, that have that same spirit. And it seems Anthony's got that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as, as coach said, that's something that can go with you forever. You know, whether you do it on the side, full time, whatever the case may be. Um, heck, even just save yourself 3% when you're selling or buying your own house is is worth something. So um, very, very cool. Uh, it was awesome to see that this weekend. Absolutely. All right. Uh, our friends over at Inside the Hall. Alex Bozich published their most read stories from 2022. And I want to quiz you guys and see if you can come up with what might have been on that list. So I want to see if you can come up with one of the top three. You don't have to get the exact headline right, 
but just think of the events of 2022, and let's see how many of the top three stories you can come up with. Uh, Coach, would you like to go first? I'm going to leave this to Coach. I read read the uh, run sheet. Oh, you read through it. Tony, did you see it? Play along in the chat mob. I did. did. Oh, you already saw them. (laughs) All right. Well, you at home. Let's see if you can uh, if you can come up with it. Uh, but no, they so are. I, Coach, uh, we should have just played along. And, <laughs> yeah, you know, just, just boosted, boosted. Our, holy cow, they're intelligent. Yeah, yeah. They, they're on top Look of at those it, right? Guys. <laughs> We're too honest. Yeah. Um, okay, so we've got Dominic and Forrest in the chat. They hit the number two story, which was Mike Woodson confirms that Dane Fife will not return for the 2022-23 season. Obviously a very big story. There was one above that, and ladies and gentlemen, the great Tony Stuckey, who commented earlier that he got his girlfriend, his lovely girlfriend, who we had a chance to meet last year when we were up there, got her a hoodie from home field for Christmas. Always a great move, Tony. He nailed it. The Northwestern suspensions, that was the number one story uh, of 2022 in terms of traffic. Mike Woodson suspends five players. And then number three, little Andy Bottoms action. Bracketology, NCAA tournament projections for March 11th was the number three most read story uh, at Inside the Hall. So it's fun kind of going through the rest of those. Always uh, give shout outs to our friends at Inside the Hall. Go support those guys because they are awesome. Uh, Last headline that I want to talk about here isn't so much a Hoosier headline as it is a Hawkeye headline, uh, which is Coach Iowa seems broken. Uh, They're Indiana's next opponent. They played tonight. They have another game before the game against Indiana next Thursday. So they are going to be, you know, back from break and, you know, in rhythm. Uh, But how broken will they be? They lost to Wisconsin. Fran had his little meltdown. Then they lost to Eastern Illinois, whoever it was, which is one of the biggest upsets in college basketball history, just in terms of ranking disparity uh, and point spread. And now they go and get waxed by Nebraska. Uh, Coach, I know you were watching it. Uh, noted I, I all Hawkeye fan that you are. Give me, uh, what do you, yeah, what, how, many, how many schools are you attaching to me? Iowa, Penn State. Penn State. <laughs> um, give me what, no, what's wrong with the Hawkeyes. Uh, and you know, what do you expect when Indiana goes in there? Well, next Thursday? When, you, when you go into the Cole center and, and lose in overtime, there's nothing wrong with that. And then Murray sat out along with another starter in the Eastern Illinois game. And, and you should win that regardless of having two starters out. That's another plus about Indiana. Those last two by games, Indiana had uh, had their two starters and their superstar out and took care of business. Uh, sometimes we, we expect 30 points regardless, just because of the name on the Jersey. But uh, sometimes that can happen. And, and last week by games uh, were being lost across college basketball. Uh, and, and so, you know, those aren't as automatic as, as sometimes we think they are anymore. There's a lot more parity happening. Uh, some of those smaller schools are getting to be very competitive on, on a given night. Uh, today, it was just shooting. They, they, couldn't, they could not hit, um, hit, hit anything tonight. Uh, but they're, they're dangerous, and they're dangerous at home. And so I asked you if they had another game. I want them to go out and get their groove back and play well so that they're not really super focused uh, trying to get off of a four-game losing streak against Indiana after two weeks off playing a little rusty. That game scares me just from the dynamics. Do I think Indiana's better, should be favored, should win the game? Absolutely. I think Indiana's better even without X. More athletic. Uh, the post play should be dominant. Uh, but it scares me because it, winning on the road in the Big Ten is just 
brutally difficult to do. And especially for a wounded animal, if they're 0-4 in their last four games, you know, and they've been looking at Fran's face for, you know, six weeks or <laughs> six hours at a time in practice, they're going to come out. So, so they, you know, I, I'm confident Indiana should compete with anyone on their schedule. And I, and I believe that, including going into Iowa and Michigan, Michigan State. I, I'm expecting Indiana to win every game because that's uh, the way I, I operate. I don't go in expecting a loss. But it does worry me. I do think they're better than they're playing, and they're just in a rut right now. Uh, we've seen that in the past, uh, Jared. Michigan State losing three in a row and then you know, four in a row on, on, the, on the winning side. So can't take them lightly. It's not an automatic win because of, of where they're at. Tony, any thoughts on that game coming up against Iowa? Yeah, from an Indiana perspective, for a team that that's hoping to kind of, I don't want to say reinvent, but you know, change up the offense perhaps maybe a little bit or, or just get out of an offensive rut, is there a better <laughs> Big Ten opponent to play than Iowa? Uh, I think they're not even top 100, Ken Palm, and adjusted defensive efficiency. Um, you know, they don't guard. They gave up, what, 92 to Eastern Illinois. Um, you know, that <laughs> – that, uh, you know, that intrigues me from an Indiana perspective to see what Indiana can do offensively um, against a pretty porous defensive or Iowa defensive team. And then where it does scare me, you know, as Coach said, is, um, you know, Iowa getting hot, uh, Indiana maybe overhelping or doing, doing some of that nail help that Coach and I have, have talked about. Um, and, you know, driving kick, Iowa could be potent offensively. And that does scare me a little bit. Uh, from the Indiana defensive side, but overall, uh, I'm with Coach. You know, I think Indiana's more talented team, but you know, you, you never want to be playing that team that it's trying to kind of get off the Schneid, and that kind of looks like where it's going to be right now. And Iowa is now 24th in offensive efficiency. They were 10th going into tonight's game, wow. so they have the capability wow. of scoring. Where Indiana's defense, as we'll talk about has been a little bit uh, less than what, what's been expected so far this year. And that, that's, that's the concern. As you said, on the other hand, if we can't run offense at Iowa, um, <laughs> but we, we got a problem. But what they do at times, they'll have good defensive games because they mix it up. Like tonight I saw a little bit of 2-3 zone. I saw the 1-2-2 press. Uh, at first possession, uh, Nebraska throws it out of bounds, uh, just an unforced error. Well, that's a possession. It was a 15-point game, and, and th there was a mini run, not much of one tonight, but they kind of got back into like 12 points when they started pressing. That press has given Purdue trouble. That press has given Indiana trouble. Uh, and where they're not technically great defensively, when you start mixing it up, if you're not ready to handle that, we're minus a point guard. Uh, th those are the areas where if things go south for Indiana, it's going to be not because of the great defense, but of the mix-up defenses and, and our young kids and, and the players we have not being able to to adjust to it. Last question for both of you, and maybe this will carry us into segment two. What starting lineup would you like to see out there? And I know a lot of times you, know, you talk about starting lineups and people are like, well, I don't care about starting lineups. I care about who closes, who finishes. That's what matters. That's all true. But given the context, this team keeps digging itself into deep holes. So I think who starts really matters in terms of getting good production, especially on the road in the Big Ten, your first game in a few weeks. It's really important for Indiana to get off to a good start. And I'm curious, you know, obviously X is out. Trey has been starting. I think we all expect the default to happen. We all expect it to be Jalen, Trey, Miller, Race, and Trace. That's probably what it will be. 
But if you had your druthers, who would be out there to start the game against Iowa? Go ahead, coach. Yeah, I mean, if if it was me coaching the team, uh, they'd probably lose by 40. But uh, I would go. (laughs) Tony draws it up. Woody breaks it down. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'd go with Jalen, Tamar, um, and then Galloway, Cop, and Trace. I'd go that small ball uh, and have Cop guard uh, more of a four type and see how that goes. Now, could be – Disastrous defensively could be, um, hell, could be disastrous offensively, depending on what they're trying to run. <laughs> um, I more so say that because it's a lineup that intrigues me. Um, I, but from a more realistic standpoint, probably inserting Bates, um, but taking Galloway out and then starting the rest of of uh, Cop, Race, and Trace. Coach? Yeah, I think – I, you really stole what I was going to say. I, I've been clamoring for the small ball uh, lineup, um, and I'm with you. It, it's nice to sit here in the confines of our basements and, and call for, for that without any deep you know, uh, study or practice film or anything like that. The concern, uh, if, if you play a small lineup, is rebounding. Indiana hasn't rebounded well with two bigs um, because Miller Cop's not a great rebounder. Uh, he can block out, but he's not going to go above the rim and snatch a rebound. That's why you need X and Hood Shafino, and I've been clamoring about, look at the guard rebound, look at the guard rebound. And when X wasn't blocking out, as you put in, in several film sessions, uh, that really caused some problems, and we had two bigs in the lineup. So rebounding would be a concern. But I thought in that Kennesaw State game, uh, when they entered the ball in the high post and they, they cut their, you know, that old Michigan State run the guards through into the floppy actions kind of stuff, opened up some back cuts and some driving lanes for our guards. I'm with you, uh, Tony. I think our guards are playing really well. They're shooting the ball. It's time we run some stuff for them, which would ultimately then open up again uh, Trace Jackson Davis in the post instead of 90% inside out. I, I, I And we'll talk more about that uh, maybe in, in the second segment. But tomorrow's the only change you would make, I, I think uh, – realistically and what if we analyze coach Woodson for what he's doing he won't change um and, and where the the not changing is good let me just take that side uh and, and support coach Woodson in that is he just fills in for x you have two ball handlers to start you had x and, and hood Shafino and then one rotated out and then one rotated back in he tried to keep one ball handler at all times so I trust uh, Trey handling the point guard responsibilities even though I don't think he's great at it I trust him more and think tomorrow's more of an off guard. I don't want to see yes. tomorrow have to add the stress of breaking the press, leading us, getting in, calling offenses, using the ball screen as much initially as a secondary maybe ball screen action. I'd rather see that at some point. So, um, yeah, I think the only change that could be made is, is tomorrow, but I bet you will see the same ones, and, and I think that's okay. I don't think that's the biggest issue facing Coach Woodson right now. All right, we're coming up here on Assembly Call Radio. It's time to zoom out. Let's take a bird's eye view of the IU basketball program as the calendar turns. Is glass half full? Is it half empty? We'll discuss. Stick around.
The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is... And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. All right. Well, welcome everybody who is here live. Always so good on kind of these off weeks to still see you all here with us on our night of Thursday night. Uh, some good uh, good conversation happening in the chat, so we appreciate uh, all of the uh, the insight and the activity. So good to see y'all, coaches. You know, Tony. Hope y'all had Tony a good going Christmas. back. I think in the future you'll see more Caleb Banks at the four type bodies. Yeah. You know, right I now do. we have five five guys, five positions where they need to post up. Renew needs to post up. You know, it wouldn't surprise me next year if they hit the portal for a four, a stretch four. Not necessarily, everyone thinks they're going to go for a big. Well, you got Renew, uh, assuming he's coming back and would be disappointed if not. But Renew and Duncombe, that's a good one, two at the five. Bring in a four who could bounce it, shoot it, uh, stretch it a little bit. Um, And then the other thing is I think you could go that small ball with Iowa, right? I I don't think they have tremendous bigs. Who guards Murray? You can't. Cop. Yeah, see, that would have to be cop. It's not bad, is it, Coach? Right. Yeah. Go ahead, tell them why. Tell them why. I know you know. What's why that? Is Cop a good ma- why is Cop a good matchup? Why do we like Cop on Murray? Oh, uh, that I don't. I mean, because you, t- you said Miller I mean, Cop. Why did you say Miller Cop? I mean, I'm thinking just from a perspective of who's going to get tired guarding, um, you know, whether that be or foul trouble, or whatever the case may be. Um, are we talking the starting lineup that we assume is going to play or the one that we kind of talked the, about? The, the one that we probably would have put, because he'd have to – a cop would have to guard Murray if we got our way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If he was playing uh, the four. Yeah, I mean, so that's that's what I'm thinking about is – is plus he's got size. I mean, he's what, yeah. six? I think eight. he's a nuisance to yeah, guard, had, to play against. Like. Yeah. I don't think Murray can go off the dribble really fast. He might be able to crab dribble, but I think Cop just, hey, stick on him and get right in his grill, and Cop would love that because yeah. he sticks close to his guys all the time. He's really good at chasing over screens, and he just get in there, and, and you know he's tougher. He just doesn't give a crap. He's as good he, off the he, ball as anybody. Yeah. Uh, in terms so, of positioning. You can use a guy that doesn't have great foot speed to lock in on one, one player to say, don't leave him. Just get in his grill. Don't let him even bring the ball down and triple. Pop, pop him in the stomach. Hit him in the eye once in a while. <laughs> you know, get him off his game. I mean, we haven't slowed down any Murrays in years, so I'll I'll try something new because nothing, nothing beat we did him up last a little year bit. worked. Yeah, last year it was uh, it was uh, Chris. Yeah, Chris went off in the yeah. first game. Yeah. 
and that was when they went to that one two two and we we struggled with it turned it over like 25 times didn't we yep oh gosh yes (laughs) and that that worries me a little bit as much as i love hood shafino playing that the first time trying to do too much like when that game slows down for him he'll be fantastic i yeah i almost uh I almost started clipping it because I, I noticed a trend. When he throws the ball with one hand, it's a turnover a lot. Whether that be a one-hand try to pocket pass, whether that be a one-hand over the head, a lot of times he's he sees the home run and he's not hitting it, yeah. um, which is very typical of a freshman in December. I mean – Singles not, and doubles. Not, yep. Yes. They get the job done. <laughs> Singles and doubles wins That's games. The ball club. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, here we go, gentlemen. Let's hit up segment two. Here we go. Hey, guys, it's Gene Steratore, CBS officiating analyst and retired Big Ten basketball official. You know I have never listened to the assembly call, and to be honest, I don't intend to. But if you listen, make sure you ignore anything Ryan says about officiating. He's really good from the seat of his pants, but I wouldn't trust him on the court with a whistle around his neck. Time has proven him wrong on virtually everything. Take care. We'll talk soon. That is true, Gene. Thank you. Welcome back to the Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris. I'm here with the coach, Brian Tonsoni, and the coach, Tony Adrania. And uh, we are getting ready to kind of step back, take a bird's-eye view of this IU basketball season. But before we do that, we have a sponsor to talk about. You know, and we talked about Anthony Leal and his real estate endeavors in the first segment. And I hope that doesn't get us in trouble with this sponsor because we have a real estate sponsor on the show. Uh, Our main segment tonight brought to you by our sponsor, True Blood Real Estate. Jim True Blood, the founder of True Blood Real Estate, a longtime friend of mine uh, back after the family moved up to the Lafayette area. Uh, Got to know Jim quite well. Actually went to my first NCAA tournament game with him and his family. Uh, He founded True Blood Real Estate, and he's been helping people in Indiana buy and sell properties since 2006. Uh, And starting this season, True Blood Real Estate became the exclusive and official real estate partner of IU Athletics. Now, I've seen they're doing some NIL deals with other schools. Be interesting to see if that comes to IU as well. But they have a team of talented agents that will serve you in Bloomington and throughout Indiana. So if you're looking to buy or sell real estate in Indiana, you need to experience the True Blood Advantage. Go to truebloodre.com. That's truebloodre.com to learn more and tell them that the assembly call sent you. All right, guys. So I'm sure that you, like me, have seen a lot of discussion out there on Twitter and communities, you know, on other shows that kind of centers around this idea of, hey, you know, can Mike Woodson in Indiana turn this season around? Right. And like, I think we all get why there is that feeling out there, right? There have been kind of some red flags that we've seen. You know, the the way Indiana lost the Rutgers, Arizona, and Kansas games. X's injury, obviously. You know, Trace's apparent nagging injuries to his back. The fear of another back flare up for, flare up for Jalen. You know, those are your probably three best players. You know, one is out. Two have been dealing with injuries. There's defensive deficiencies that we certainly, you know, didn't expect. But we can see it with our eyes, even if it's not fully showing up in the analytics the offense has been up and down. You know, Malik Renew and Jordan Geronimo have really been struggling. And there's just kind of been this visceral feeling that a lot of us have had, you know, watching this team that something hasn't felt right for a few weeks, right? And so I totally understand why some people look at this and say, hey, man, we've really got to get, you know, get things turned around, you know, and it kind of feels like the season is in a bit of a bad spot. 
and yet, you know, you can flip that on its head. And I mentioned all the stuff at the top of the show about the rankings, you know, and, and about how Indiana's in the, in the top 25, been there for seven weeks. You know, not to mention, you know, as devastating as those three losses were, Indiana still had a successful non-conference campaign. We're 21st in the net. We have a quad one road win. We're two and three overall against quad one, and there's no quad three or quad four losses. That is just an objectively good spot to be in, and if the season ended today, we'd probably get a four or five seed, which would be the highest since 2016. You know, not to mention, Indiana's biggest recent issue shooting is showing some signs of improvement, and I get, you know, we've only played the 213th toughest schedule, but we're shooting 36.5% from three, 11th overall in effective field goal percentage. That's growth. You know, Coach, you mentioned earlier the guards. You know, we have three healthy guards who have shown the ability to be three-level scorers in Jalen, Tamar, and Trey. I get there's questions about how that shooting is going to translate to the grind of Big Ten play, but there are reasons for optimism, and there's a talented freshman uh, freshman class that's filled with guys who have shown enough potential to make you believe that all of them or some of them could really improve and add more impact come January, February, and March. And so as much as there are these negatives that kind of have everybody worried and the bad losses have everybody worried, there's just as many things on the other side that I think you can feel good about. Maybe not if your expectation was Final Four, you know, but if you're thinking that this team can be an upper echelon Big Ten team, make the NCAA tournament, take a significant step from last season, there's still a lot there. And so as we sit here on December 29th, it's very much a glass half full, glass half empty perspective, you know, and, and you know, I look in, in the community and you kind of see the responses of people and you can tell who's got a glass half full mentality and who's glass half empty, you know, and I've, you know, kind of sat on it and thought about it. And I think, you know, coming out of the Kansas game, watching the Kennesaw State game, I kind of found myself falling a little bit more toward that negative side. But as we've gotten kind of further from that, it's really come into more balance uh, for me, and I think I'm starting to side a little bit more on the positive side. Check back with me next Thursday when Indiana plays Iowa. Um, but I think there are a lot of reasons you know, to, to see that this program has made progress, even if this season has been some steps forward, some steps back, but the program is in a better spot. And so to me, it's, you know, there are issues, but I'm looking at it with glass half full and still have a lot of optimism about what this team can do as we go forward this season. I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts, and obviously those of you who are in the chat mob or who are listening later and want to tweet us, I want to know kind of how you're viewing things right now. Glass half full, glass half empty. So Coach Tonsoni, let's go to you first. What, how are you looking at it right now? Well, I, I kind of t- had the same path that you did, and, and in the opening, I, I kind of said I readjusted uh, kind of the expectations for this team, which then leads me to uh, it's half full. Um, yeah. Year two of a new coach, uh, I've always argued, got to give them four or five years. Um, and I was that way this summer, and then I kind of caught the bug. Uh, oh, yeah, this team. And you look at the Big Ten, and and you thought a lot of teams had – some losses uh, of personnel. And so I started, uh, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit. And then when you get beat like you did in in these three games recently, then your high expectations get knocked down. Uh, And so I'm half full. This this program, I don't know that the roster is yet at an elite level, despite the people coming back, despite the talent that we have at certain spots. We have uh, so many back-to-the-basket guys that we have to run traditional post-up offense. 
and then we all get mad because everyone's standing around. Uh, but when you throw it in the post, you got to cut and stand. It's just what everyone does in college basketball. Uh, I think that we, we don't have a traditional downhill closer. We're developing those. So guys like C.J. Gunn and Caleb Banks and Gabe Cups, who has played at New Albany tonight, those are the types of players that are going to get Indiana back to more modern basketball. Uh, as Tony and I talked about the small ball lineup where you have a six seven, six eight, four who can shoot the three and drive. Um, Miller Cops not the prototypical four in that kind of way, but Caleb Banks might be. You go get a portal guy, and, and yes, we lose a lot of talent next year, but I think the program is making progress, and I'm just trying to back up my expectations. So I want no stress on on, on Selection Sunday, and, and I want, uh, you know, obviously top eight. I'd love to have top four in, in the Big Ten, but I'm not holding out calling us Big Ten champs or favorites or Final Four contenders because I think that sets me personally up for disappointment. I don't think that team, this team's going to reach that. If they do, and I've readjusted, then that's going to be just uh, icing on the cake uh, for me to overachieve and get closer to the ceiling, but uh, then I think they will be. So half full, uh, it's good. Uh, Ten and three, two losses and two wins in the non-conference. It just didn't play out the way we wanted it to, and that's why we're a little bit hesitant at this point. Coach, Adranya, your thoughts. Yeah, I'm with both of you where I've kind of readjusted um, where I was versus where I'm at. And the kind of turning point for me is an interesting one uh, where I kind of went from glass half empty to glass half full because it was in the middle of a game. It was last game, the Kennesaw State game. And that was when we saw Indiana really shift how they played offense. Um you know, the last 10 minutes of the game, Indiana scored almost two points per possession, uh, whereas the beginning of the game they were at like 0.8 points per possession. And literally their entire scheme changed. And it was very similar to the scheme we saw last year in the Big Ten tournament against the Michigan and the Illinois. Uh, I'm saying the Illinois is in like apostrophe after the S, not calling it Illinois. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. Uh, yes. Um but that's what has me kind of half full. Look, the, the defense has taken its lumps as well. Um, and, you know, some of the overhelping and, and shots seemingly from wide open guys um, have been concerning. But I have some stats to kind of refute kind of the eye test a little bit on some of the defensive offensive stuff that we'll talk about here in a bit. Um, but you know, the reason I was so optimistic about Indiana this season, obviously it's the guys coming back was I thought there was going to be an offensive shift of, mm-hmm. of kind of what we saw at the end of last season. And really when Indiana kind of picked things up and then, you know, you kind of play some of these lesser opponents, you kind of get back into old habits, old ways, trace scoring at will. It's hard to just say, Nope, we're not going to do that. And then, you know, against some better opponents, you, you kind of go to the old bag of tricks and, all of a sudden you find yourself down pretty bad in three different games. But then that that turning point, like I, I just keep going back to that and I've rewatched it and, you know, just playing through the high post almost at the top of the key and, you know, Xing off of that and really opening up driving lanes is really what all this comes down to because you open up driving lanes, you force help, you force long closeouts, you force another help situation and then you've got just a lot of opportunities to do things on the offensive end and so really what it comes down to is it's not like 
don't post up because Trace Jackson Davis stinks at post ups. It's more so let's open the floor up so that we have better spacing so that then we have guys that can attack and then you can do things off of those attacks. So um, that's what has my glass half full is that I know Indiana can defend an elite level because most of these guys have already done it for a full season. And so they can shore some of those things up and the offense that we have now seen them run both last year and this year that has been efficient. I'm cautiously optimistic that we'll continue to see that moving forward. So that's why my glass is half full. Yeah. You know, and the off season is often a time of really looking at the ceiling, right. And kind of buying into the ceiling and talking yourself into kind of the idealized version of what's going to happen. And I think we all got caught up in that some, but certainly if you had told us in the off season, Indiana's offense is, you know, going to look, offensive strategy is going to be what it's been. And we've been talking about that since back in the exhibition game. So we, you know, we're not quite sure what they're doing here. Um, that would have been a concern. And if you tell me X is going to be out and Trace is dealing with nagging injuries, that changes things, you know? And so I don't think it's fair to hold this team to the, the same uh, expectation that you did when you had a healthy X. That doesn't mean that you change the standard, right? I think the standard for this season was you finish in the top half of the big 10 uh, you make the NCAA tournament and you take a big step forward from last year. That doesn't change, you know, but I think you do have to recalibrate a little bit. Okay. What is kind of the new ceiling for this team? What is this team shooting for? What is just kind of a good, you know, kind of baseline and what would really constitute, you know, a failure, um, you know? And so I think as long as you do that, you know, then you can kind of look at some of the positives that have happened and I'm with you, Tony. You know, I really hope that what we saw there at the end of that game is a harbinger of things to come. Because, man, things just opened up so much at the end of last season. And there's really no good reason not to go back to that, you know, and be running offense that way. And so hopefully Indiana can do that, shore up some of the things defensively, um, and, you know, can kind of get back to the positive momentum that it felt like we had earlier in the season that obviously isn't there right now. But hopefully we're able to do that you know you mentioned the defensive stuff I'd like to know a little bit more about what you're thinking defensively um just how you would assess their defensive play so far because it sounded like you're not quite as dissatisfied with the defense as some other folks are yeah so I you know I I actually was and I'm like man like feels like every time I turn around somebody's shooting a wide open three um and then I looked at the numbers um and so these these numbers all come from synergy um you know, it's really interesting. So where we're, Indiana's very bad is post-defense, which is really weird based on the next stat I'm about to give. So they're 20th percentile in post-D. Um, when they've doubled the post, they've actually given up 2.09 points per possession. Um, so essentially, play straight up because we're basically giving up three-pointers uh, when doubling the post. But what's really interesting is on shots at the rim – Indiana's in the 99th percentile in the country. Opponents are only scoring 1.03 points per possession at the rim. Trace Jackson Davis obviously playing a very, very large role in that. Um, you know, the hell, the Kansas game, he had, what, eight, nine blocks? Nine blocks. Um, you know, he he's a great rim protector. Um, even, you know, at a kind of undersized rim protector, really. Um, and so the next stat um, – in unguarded jumpers, the stat from Synergy as well, Indiana's in the top percentile in the country and how many of those have been allowed. And so, you know, you, you keep thinking like, gosh, like how do these guys keep getting open? How does the opponent keep getting these wide open jumpers? Like it's 
it's actually not happening uh, all that frequently or in comparison to the rest of college basketball, at least, you know, it's, hmm. it's really easy to kind of get, you know, look at everything and under a microscope and really kind of dive into one possession or two possessions. But then when you look at this, you know, kind of macro data, it's like, Oh, wow. Like, yes, not all these opponents have been great opponents and, and that does skew it, you know, a little bit in Indiana's favor. However, you know, there's a large enough data set now where I think you can dissect some of it and really look and go, okay, like that, that makes some sense. Or, you know, that, that's interesting. I didn't think of it that way. Cause I, I honestly, I wouldn't have guessed that Indiana's postie has been as bad as it has been. Um, and I wouldn't have guessed that their unguarded jumpers have been as minimal as they have been. And I wouldn't have guessed that they're protecting the rim at an absolutely elite level. And so that's why I don't get me wrong. I don't think their defense has been perfect. Um, and, and I think there's room for improvement, but after looking at some of the numbers, I'm not as dissatisfied as I was maybe a week ago, just based off the eye test. Yeah. You know, and the only issue there is X has been a big part of that and losing him. I mean, we know the impact it's going to have offensively, but defensively, I just think that's such a big loss in terms of the tone that he sets, just being such a bulldog, you know, out there against opposing ball handlers. And, you know, that's Jalen Huchifino is going to have to take on some of that. Uh, and that's a heavy burden for a freshman. So it's going to be interesting to see how Indiana adjusts that way. Coach uh, Tonsona, your thoughts on Indiana defensively? Yeah, yeah, the numbers aren't bad, um, but just you just get this feeling like, man, it's just not totally connected. That the shift in in we talked off off the air about the guarding the nail is really you are setting the team in help, not in a position to help. You're setting them in help and then reacting. But the numbers that, that Tony said are real. I, I would say that if they're scoring inside, they're going to go inside more, and you're not going to take open jumpers because you're going to go inside if it's 20. If I'm getting those numbers, if I'm scouting against India, we're not taking any jumpers. We're going to just pound it inside because they can't guard us inside. And so those numbers of shots taken, um, you know, there's some correlation there too with, with how teams are attacking and, and who you're playing and, and, and those types of things. But – the thing that I have to come to grips with, too, is uh, Coach Woodson is picking a shot to give up, and that is that wing jumper. And that's what's driving most of us nuts is it's a pass from the top to the wing, and uh, and the closeout's not there, and all of a sudden Kennesaw State hits three out of four to start the game, and it just looks bad, right? But by the end of the game, you had race closing out and blocking one of those same you know, shots. And mm-hmm. what it does is it takes away that roll – it takes away the, the offside corner having a tag. You know, you have to give up something defensively. And I think Coach Woodson has decided we're going to give up that because we should be able to close out or get help from the corner, but everyone knows where the ball's going. If we're at the nail, the ball only can go out to the wing. It's not going to go to the post. It's not going to go somewhere else. And then we can adjust our defense there. And that's not really bad. It looks bad. It's not maybe the way I would do it against a team that shoots a lot of threes. Uh, I would adjust each game. But that's why I'm where I'm at, and Woodson is where where he's at, right? So there there's some there is some a decent amount, obviously, strategy behind what what he is doing. My concern is when you're playing lesser talent and they miss wide open threes, you start getting some of these Big Ten teams like an Iowa who gets hot, and you're going to stay with what you do. Um, although they moved off the nail um, a little bit. Um, you know, so uh, in in that last six minutes too, and guarded Kennesaw State better. So maybe they're willing to adjust uh, that at at some point. So 
the defense hasn't bothered me as much as the offense, uh, to be honest. And, and I think that's where Coach Woodson has to answer. Last year, 95th in, in Ken Palm, and this year it, it's been better. Uh, but it's starting to go back in that direction. And, and despite uh, my belief that defense wins championships, you got to put the ball in the basket. And against good teams, we've been shut down. Against good coaches, we've been shut down. So take the stats, and but, you know, there's good coaches in this Big Ten, and, and, and they're going to scout and know what we do, and we better be ready to counter it, not just say this is what we do and this is what I'm comfortable and we're going to do it. And if not, then the guys just need to make shots. Sometimes you got to change things up a little bit. Yeah. I have some interesting back, uh, offense stats too via synergy. Um, one, one that is a bit concerning is only in the 50th percentile in transition points per possession. I think Indiana could do a better job finishing in transition and, and you know, scoring in transition. Um, so that's an area of concern. One that's, that's interesting and it, it actually does – it correlates strongly with the eye test is um, so synergy has a stat on jumpers from 17 feet to the three point line. So basically long twos um, Indiana is only scoring 0.8 points per possession on those long twos. They're taking them more than 95% of the teams in the country. Um, and when we look at threes, Indiana scoring 1.08 point per, points per possession, 73rd percentile in the country but we're only in the 18th percentile in terms of attempts, um, you know, mm-hmm. which some of that data is on Ken Palm. It only kind of set a different way, but, you know, so scoring, you know, almost 0.3 points per possession more on threes. Um, but, you know, these long twos are, are still part of the offense and, you know, the stats and the data really says stop doing it. <laughs> um, and, yeah. but, you know, to take 95 or more than 95% of teams in the country, um, you know, that, that part of it is frustrating. And I know that part's been frustrating for IU fans to watch. And it's like, you know, just take a, one more step back um, or, or check your feet or, or whatever the case may be. Um, but, you know, and then on, in terms of post-ups, Indiana's in the 90th percentile in the country. But even on post-ups, it's still less than a point per possession scored um, just based on that being an inefficient shot. Um, you know, we're more efficient than the rest of the country, but in terms of, the whole data set, it's not a very efficient way to play basketball. So th- those stats, I, I don't think it, anybody's surprised by those, but when you see it um, or hear it, you know, it's kind of like, damn. <laughs> um, you know, the the long two numbers are so interesting. We talked about this all offseason, that there was a lot of room for Indiana's offense to improve just by substituting three-pointers for long twos. That right there. You know, but context matters. And so what we have right now is you have a freshman in Jalen Huchofino who has a real comfort level with the mid-range shot. It's where he's most comfortable. He's pretty good at it. The problem is even being pretty good from that shot is still actually pretty inefficient in comparison to other shots that you could get, right? Driving to the basket with the potential to get fouled or finish at the rim or taking a three. To his credit, he's been better shooting threes. The other guy who takes a lot of him is Tamar Bates who's now getting more of them because people are respecting his three-point shot, closing out harder, and he's pretty confident those shots. But again, it's just not a very efficient shot. You've seen Miller Cop take a few of them. You know, and so you look at that, all those guys are good shooters. They can make them. And, you know, especially with Jalen Huchifino, you can argue, well, you want him to be comfortable, and so you don't want to take away the shot he's most, most comfortable doing. So I'm curious, from your guys' perspective as coaches, you know this is not the optimal shot. 
you know, but you also know there may be some reasons to let guys on this roster take it a little bit more. How do you balance that and, and, you know, try to still get good offense? Are you taking a hard line with those guys taking those shots? Like, how do you approach something like that? Well, I, I, I would take a, a little bit of a hard line, yeah. but I'd also have to open up the rim. Um, Oh, yeah. And give them not, not just say don't take shots, but give them the option what to do, right? If you're going to get run off the three point line, I want you scoring at the rim and and one and getting three points that way. I don't want you to just automatically pull up. There's a time to pull up, um, but I want those to be minimal. But I got to give you lanes. But they've right seen now, clogged lanes for so much. But of the they've season. seen clogged yeah. lanes, so now the you know the move is to hit that pull up that they're comfortable with so i think some of it has to come to strategy you yeah. can't just tell a kid don't take those shots cuz then he gets hesitant right he doesn't make a move he just catches and and moves the ball uh you got to have a threat if someone runs you off the three point line um you know shot fake and get to the rim but because we are so heavy especially when renews in the game uh, you know you got two posts again and we've been two posts for like 8 years now um <laughs> that the driving lanes aren't there. Um, and even when you do bring bigs out, they don't respect them, so they stay in anyway. And They'd rather have Trace shooting a 15-footer or a three-pointer. And Race is only, what, 27%. I know he had one good game, uh, but he's not doing it. Uh, and so you don't have to guard him. Uh, you make an adjustment like uh, the Arizona game. If he hits, you go make an adjustment. But I'm, gonna, I'm not within eight feet of Race on a catch uh, until he hits a couple. Um, and that's the way people are guarding right now, and it just allows that comfortability with that pull-up too. Um, and, again, that's that's what I would do. I, I would go to more of the stuff that Tony talked about at the end of the game, run some actions to get your guys to the rim to show them where those uh, high-percentage shots are plus fouls um, and, and be be ready to call them in games, not just – after timeouts, not just at the beginning of the game when they run sets and then they go away from it. And then this halftime, they come out and they run a set or two and then they go away from it again. It's like we've got to be able to see stuff during the game and then call something out of our package, not just let the game play out. Uh, and, and that's NBA versus college. But we're in college. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm with coach on, on that. i, I pretty much draw a hard line but as you said it's not just a hard line of hey stop taking that shot it's this shot's inefficient and here's why and here's what i need to do to help you get to the rim or, or shoot that be comfortable shooting that three-point shot you know we talked about Jalen. i just pulled it up uh he's taken 26 of those mid-range shots he's made nine so about 0. 0.73 points per possession so Jeez, that's not still good. pretty inefficient <laughs> <laughs> um it yeah, looks so good though it does it's pretty um, it, but you know, the most comfortable I've seen him was in those since the North Carolina game, at least was those last, um, 10 minutes of Kennesaw state and he was getting to the rim attacking and the floor was opened up. So that's why I'm just like so intrigued. And I know I keep harping on it and talking about it, but it, you know, it worked and that it was exciting to see. And it's kind of a, an aesthetically pleasing way to watch the game, you know, from a fan perspective. So, so if let me you drive Tony and move on the perimeter, it's hard for the help to find a shooter on a closeout. So your threes become easier too, because you might get a more open three on a double post up. When you stand, the defense has scouted that. And they know when trace Jackson takes that dribble out and throws, your guys are going to be here, here and here, get to them. And it allows a, a cheat step or two 
on the pickup to get out to the three. So now you're running them off the three, but there's stuff in the lane. So now you got to shoot a two, but you got to move the help and you got to drive the, the ball. And it's so much harder. You'll get your one mores and then they can shoot an open three and not have to feel like they have to go in and pull up the two. It's just, I, 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 I'm not in there and I want to be cautious. I want to be supportive uh, but when I watch four games for bracketology and I watch and I watch and I watch and I see New Orleans, who's three and 97, running good motion to get the ball and then eventually feeding the post uh, with nine seconds to go on the shot clock. And then the help is like, where do I come from? And then they, they get a shot and they miss because they're not good. Um, there, there has to be something better than just standing a predominant amount of time. Um, there has to be. Let me play devil's advocate for a second with you guys on this, you know, kind of more four out one in type offense that we've been talking about. Because look, you know, no coach, if you just give him a blank slate, is going to say, let me, for my roster, I want a six nine big guy who's, you know, really good around the basket. He's a really good defensive player, you know, outstanding player, but also I want to pair him with a six seven guy who's most comfortable in the post and neither one of them can shoot very well. Right. No one would do the same. (laughs) Yeah. No one would do that. Okay. But what we have here is we have Trace, who is one of the most productive players in school history and a preseason All American. You have Race Thompson, who is a fifth year senior, you know, a respected locker room guy, and came back. And then you have Malik Renew, who is a heralded freshman, high four star, you know, five star, whatever, who you need to get minutes for. So it is easy to say, like, hey, let's, you know, sit race, whatever. But, you know, race needs a role, and Malik Renew needs a role. So what are the conversations like? What are you saying to a race Thompson if this is the direction that you want to go? I mean, if you believe it's the best thing, and I think a lot of us think the offense will function better that way. But where are race's minutes coming from, and how concerned are you about that? And where are Malik's minutes coming from? Because I think he's... You know, you get a freshman that good, you don't want the narrative out there that you're just going to bury that guy on the bench. And plus, you want to develop him because he can be an excellent backup to Trace Jackson Davis that allows you to keep doing some of the things that you want to do. So it is easy to say we want to play this lineup, but then you've got real people in the locker room that have established roles, and it's not always that simple. And so that's what I keep coming up against is it's like, okay, yeah, it'd be nice to do that, but now what's Race's role and how are you getting Malik enough minutes for him to develop? Those are the problems. And all of these questions, they're not asked in a vacuum. You have to take into account all that context, too. Right. I think you got to play the roster that you have, and, and you're not going to get rid of those guys. I'd, I'd run pairs, Coach Adrania. I, I'd get Trace involved in, in uh, down screens to the corner, flare screens and slips, pin screens and post. I would make both of those guys pair up with the perimeter and run some action. I know screening and motion is not a big part of the college game. It's all about the bounce. But if they're not going to guard bigs, they can't switch on a screen. Like the big can't go out and switch. So now, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to curl. You're going to chase off the curl. There's just so much you can do if you're not going to guard a big uh, other than a ball screen. I mean, you have to be creative with the roster you have. We do not have enough spacing. We haven't had enough spacing for years, and we're trying to run offense that is based on spacing And you still can if you get those guys out uh, and screen and then move one into the post. Um, You know, there's just – 
it's just difficult right now because everyone's packing that lane. Uh, and you've got to come up with some reason to get that lane unpacked or move the people within that pack in, in order to attack. Uh, or, or it's just going to be, it's just going to be tough. So, but I would play two bigs because that's who you have on the roster, and you got renew. You got to play them, but make them effective screeners first, and then posters second, then ball screeners and rollers second. You still want to get them a number of shots. You'll track it on the bench. You're not going away from them. But now teams got to scout. Teams got to decide. Tamar's coming off a screen. He's hitting four shots in a row. Now you got to take him away. Now you can slide race in to the you know, off that down screen to the corner, into the post. Uh, I just think there's got to be some more ways to break up what, what we're seeing in the last four games. Yeah, yeah that's a great I, that's, point. I'm in agreement that, you know, just just because your guys are most comfortable scoring with their back to the basket, um, they can they can still be effective outside of the paint, Whether as you mentioned, whether that be screening. You know, I've long held the belief that with this roster that IU has that, uh, you could run an entire horns package, which is essentially point guard at the top. You got two bigs in the slots. You got two guys down in the corners. And then there's a million things you can do off of that. And you still don't have the lane occupied. You still got ball screeners. You've got guys replacing. You can go set double pins down. Like there's a lot that you can do out of that and, and still keep the paint unoccupied. Um, and, you know, IU does do a little bit of horn stuff uh, here and there. And, they look to go high-low a lot with, with Trace and Race out of that Horns action. Um, and I like it, you know, because I, I, I don't think you completely abandon where Trace is, is good, but I think there's different ways you can get him in those spots. You know, I think, I think a lot of people have clamored, like, look, I want to get Trace the ball in the right block, but I don't want him post in there. You know, uh, you know let's run a cross screen from him coming or, or, or diagonal screen or whatever the case, have him catch, go up quick. You know, it's, it's more – more quick actions, getting guys on the move, making the defense work, occupying the help side, um, you know, those types of things to, to really get the offense flowing in a good direction. And, you know, I think it's it's completely possible with the roster that IU has. But to Jared's point, you know, I, I talk about this a lot with Sam Story and Bob Mopes. Uh, Mopes, you know, what he has, what he has. And he, he's got a, you know, he wants to win right now. So, He's not going to, you know, sit guys or, you know, he's going to put the five guys on the floor that he thinks give him the best chance to win. And he's going to mold things around that. Um, and, and so, you know, he's got to play who he's got as well. And, and so, you know, you got to be conscious of that. And I think if you look at the guys he's recruiting, um, you know, across the college basketball landscape in the 23, 24, 25 class. I think it speaks to more of like the modern offensive game. You've got stretch fours, guys that can get downhill, guys that can take somebody off the dribble, those types of things. But, you know, he didn't walk into that. And so he's he's catering the offense to what he thinks is going to work and win. And hopefully, you know, as things aren't doing well, we pivot and adjust and, and see what happens there. What what about elbow catches? We haven't seen many elbow catches uh, against Even off a really short solid. Roll, he catches the elbow and do something the short like roll, it. but just an elbow catch. They ran something in the Bahamas right away when Woodson got there. Um, I call it over where the point guard passes and then chases over the ball. But I think they and one time they even cleared out and and TJ Deeshut would catch it one step above the elbow, spin and then attack the rim. Mm-hmm. Uh, get him to the foul line. Get him some. Get him to face up that way and 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 do some action that way. Elbow catches, and then you could have race flare on the opposite side, 
and then he could dive after the flare. I mean, there are ways that you could go high-low without just sticking a guy at the high post and sticking a guy at the low post and staring everybody down. It just it 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 just boggles it just boggles my mind that someone who has a playbook with eight thousand plays doesn't call them many. He just lets the play happen, and that's you know he is who he is, and you got to be your coach, right? I will support him. You know, like your philosophy is your philosophy, and if you want to you want to run it, then you got to win with it, right? And he's got to win with it, and if he doesn't, then he gave it a, a great shot. You got to be who you are as a coach. You can't be who Coach Tonsoni wants you to be. So I applaud him for that. But 95th in offense last year and moving that direction this year, the numbers speak. Uh, defense, we can complain about, but the defense isn't horribly bad. The offense is trending that way uh, against good coached teams. Um, and um, I want him to win. So he can call me anytime he wants. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a good note to end on uh, here in segment two. Let us know what you think. Tweet us. Glass half full, glass half empty. We want to know. When we come back for segment three, we have several good questions from our community members. We will answer those next. Stick with us. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Is Jalen really 9 for 26? That's terrible. So that, that's just the longer twos, though. That doesn't count the ones that are a little bit closer in. Yeah, seventeen to okay. twenty-two and a half feet, or whatever the three, wherever the three-point line's at. Even on jumpers from what they call any, basically a jump shot anywhere from inside the lane to seventeen feet, he's four for nine there. Wow, hmm. not good. Not good. Gonna, I mean, you got to hit a high percentage of those if you're going to take them. You know, you better be hitting fifty percent or more, really, or it's. It's just a horrid they're, shot. Yeah, I mean, they're, as best, a, they're best off the break, I think, too. Sometimes when you got a guy at the rim or a, yeah. a rim protector there to pull up, you got you got rebounding. Um, I, that I don't mind as much. Coverage. Yeah, um, there's some times when it's probably efficient, but you're right. Got to have better better numbers. The transition numbers are interesting too. I'd love to see what the what the percentage is on possessions we don't turn it over. 
because it feels like we turn it over an inordinate amount of time in transition. Um, but when yeah, we trying, actually yep. get a shot, like we usually get a pretty high percentage shot. You know, it used to be, you know, back when Rob was, you know, here and Al and some of those guys, we wouldn't turn it over very much in transition, but we just wouldn't do anything, you know? Yeah, like the no transition mistake. game was non-existent. And now it's like this year, this team looks really comfortable getting out in transition. They just kick the ball around a little bit too much. Yeah, turn it over 18.8% of transition possessions. Does it say where that ranks nationally? That it does not, but no. I got to imagine not, not good. Interesting. <laughs> Feels like it's higher than that, but I mean, they've had some, they've had some games where they've played really well in transition, but against the better teams, it seems like they're turning it over a lot I'd when they get those up. wonder how many of those are our post guys bringing it up. They've seemed to run into a, a little bit of a lull the last three or four games in decision-making on the break. Yeah. And why I've wouldn't always... you just attack or those early guys. offense even? Yeah. As soon as you see them bringing it up, I would just send someone to attack them. You know, a defender, I mean. I mean, I appreciate, I appreciate that thought. Like, if you have five guys who can push the ball, why outlet? Just go. But it does seem lately, like Malik has had some trouble uh, when he's brought it up. Race um, had a real bad lazy pass, I guess, Arizona or Kansas. It was Kansas when yeah, he Kansas. brought it up trying to enter it into the wing. First, wasn't even in transition. Yeah. Yep. All right. Let's hop into segment three. Here we go. <clears throat> Thomas Bryant. What's the only thing better than being Kentucky in the NCAA tournament? Celebrating it with friends afterwards. Join Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach after every IU basketball game. Go Hoosiers. We need to get us another one of those. A guy who could post up successfully and step out and make the three-pointer. Thomas Bryant. Uh, love you, Thomas. Thank you very much. I'm Jared Morris here with Coach Brian Tonsoni, the Coach Tony Adranya, and it is time for our mailbag. All of these questions we're going to talk about submitted via our private IU basketball discussion community. You can learn more about it at assemblycall.com slash community. And when you go, you can get the IU film room bundle added to it uh, and get the most in-depth video analysis of Indiana basketball that you're going to find anywhere. If you want to really be able to see the game in a different way when you watch IU basketball, get IU Film Room. Also, Coach Tonsoni's Coach's Corners. There's just a lot of stuff that's happening in there, and we'd love to have you there with us. Uh, so go to assemblycall.com slash community. Uh, okay, the first question here actually comes to us from Brian Tonsoni, uh, and he says, if you had an official recovery beer like Luka Doncic of the Dallas Mavericks, what would your choice be? I need a recovery beer. Recovery beer. Luca, after his, what was it, 60 points, 20 assists, 10 rebound, triple-double, which was just unbelievable. He's, he's magnificent and then says, I'm tired. I need a recovery beer. <laughs> <laughs> the European guys are just built different, man. <laughs> they are. Have you ever seen the picture of him like four hours before a game one time eating lunch and he's got a glass of wine? Yes. <laughs> Dude, he's so good. So, yeah, so what's he your recovery great. beer of choice? Coach, I, I gotta say, like Bud Light. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm not one of the types that can like work out and then. Depends on what you're recovering from, I guess. Correct. Yeah, very true. <laughs> um, yeah, like if I went and played a long basketball game, like that's the last, the last thing on my mind. Like I said, those guys just build different. I, that's a like I know like some like times like half marathons and stuff. Like when you're done, they'll give you a free beer. Like, 
I don't want any part of that. Like no. I, I just want to chug like 15 water. water. And then, yeah, yeah. Take a shower and then maybe, then maybe figure out what I'm going to drink. It's the post game shows. We need recovery beers from. So we'll check back yeah. in with you, coach, after the first Big Ten loss that we suffer here in the new year. <laughs> See what you're drinking that night. <laughs> That's <burning>. Absolutely. Something <laughs> dark and heavy is yes. probably what, yeah. what is needed after some of those. Um, all right. So this question's from Matt, and you guys touched on this a little bit, but I kind of like the little tweak he has on this. So he says, what chance do you think there is that we will see the offense looking different after the break? In other words, do you think there is any chance that the Indiana coaching staff has acknowledged how easily guardable Indiana's offense has been in the first third of the season and make schematic changes to it during uh, the break? What do you think? I mean, I hope they're using this time to take stock of what's worked and what hasn't and make tweaks. It would be quite a waste of a nice big gap if they're not. So I would hope so. Yeah, I think. You want that, Tony? Yeah, go ahead. Sure. Yeah, I think that. You know, it's it's not like it's something like in Kennesaw State they were just like, all right, Woody's on his board. All right, we're gonna run this. That like it's something they've got in their package. It's something that they've practiced. It's like you know, so it's it's uh, yeah. It's so it's not like it's just something that's brand new. It's just like all right, let's let's make some tweaks here. Let's open some things up. Here's why it hasn't worked. Because I do agree with with what Matt said. I think Indiana is very easily scouted. Um, you know, just from somebody that dives into their film a lot after each game, like they run a lot of the same actions. Um, you know, you, you scout those actions. Uh, you, you know where they want the ball to go. Like not only do they want to go to trace, they want to go to a specific block. Um, they want specific people throwing in the ball. They want specific people positioned a certain way. So they're, they're really easy to scout. I, I will give them that um, in the half court. And, and so, yeah, the likelihood, you know, I, I think Woody's smart. I think he's got very smart people on his staff. So I would think he made the adjustments last season at, at the end of the year. Um, so, you know, it's not like it's it's brand new. It's not like he's he's just completely set in his ways and only wants to throw it in the post and, and be easy to guard. Um, he's made changes last year. He made changes uh, in the last game, as a matter of fact. So, I, you know, I, I've kind of said it, but I'm cautiously optimistic that we'll see things open up a little bit more. Your greatest strength uh, as a coach is also sometimes your greatest weakness. And one of his greatest strengths is trusting his ball players. And, and I think he really trusts his point guards um, to get Indiana into action. And that came out through many conversations in post games last year that uh, he said in one game, I didn't know what we were running unless I called it. Um, so he puts a lot of trust in his players. And sometimes the players will run stuff over and over again just out of comfort, right? If you're not sure, you're bringing that ball up. Um, that's where the NBA is different than college. And, and that's just my best guess because I talking about Luca, I watched the Mavericks on Christmas day, run the same thing 10 times in a row. And it was feed Luca, the ball in the post and four guys standing around the perimeter and they hit four threes and went on a 12 to, you know, two run because players just elevated over people and hit shots. Um, you can get away with that in the NBA. Uh, I don't believe that plays well that many times. So I think he's got good stuff in the package. You see it every once in a while. You see it out of timeouts. He's great at drawing up stuff out of timeouts. Uh, coming out of halftime, they run good stuff. And, and, and I think their zone offense is way ahead of their man-to-man offense, uh, to be honest with you. So I think he's got good stuff in the package. But I think he just lets the game play. And I think he lets the players play, which is good for confidence. Uh, 
but I'm not sure. I, I've said it all along, Jared and Tony, all off season. He, he's got to have his thumb on the pulse of the team a little bit more. When I when I watch these other teams, either an assistant or the head coach is calling something almost every time. Um, you know, I talked about, uh, tweeted about that FS1, and I know no one likes on here likes Sean Miller, but the dude can coach. I like, tweeted that you know, as well. He's talking about the ball has to have energy. He said that 18 times. Ball has to have energy. You got to cut hard. You got to move the ball. If you're just dribbling and you're just standing, they're going to find you and they're going to guard you. Play in the middle third. Um, I don't see a lot of that. Now, I haven't had Coach Woodson, Mike, so it's you got to be fair. But you don't you don't see him actively calling stuff um, on, on offense. He just lets it play. So I don't think that'll change. Um, the assistants, I think, are trying to get him to run some stuff. That's the feel that I get. And they do a good job at times uh, of running stuff. But it just gets two minutes, three minutes, four minutes of the same thing over and over again with no change-up. That's what I would like to see. Because they're doing everything college teams are doing when they feed the post. Everyone does the dive and the stand. It's just how much. You said the percentile was like 90-some percentile of feeding the post, and it's just not an efficient play, just like the pull-up twos statistically. So uh, I don't think it'll change, um, but, I, but I do think it can change because I don't think – I think there's enough plays in the playbook to do that. He's just got to be able to call them or put someone in charge of calling them on a regular basis. That's what Purdue does. Their assistant puts it on a whiteboard. When they're in transition, he doesn't want to slow them down. He just drops the whiteboard and doesn't call anything. When there's a time, he puts the whiteboard up, uh, and they run different things. So um, I don't think it'll change. Uh, hopefully the execution will be better, uh, and, and and hopefully there's just a little more variety of actions. You know, it's a, I mean, that point about you know him not – kind of putting his thumb on the action as much. And you think about a lot of the games Indiana has lost, right? And not a lot of them have been, you know, just kind of 40 minutes of back and forth basketball and you lose. It feels like there's always like a four or five minute stretch. Sometimes it's at the beginning of the game, but sometimes it's later. We're just, and th- you know, this happened with Archie too, but the wheels just fall off. You know, and it's like in the, it's like the Arizona game. There's a lot of good things that you take from it because they fought and they scratched and they got it back even in the second half but it's like they were just clueless for like four or five minutes and you can't consistently win making up for that. You know, in the NBA, you have more time, you can make runs. That's part of NBA basketball is just the runs. And in college basketball, is it Evan Mia? I think it's Evan Mia that coined the term kill shot. You know, when a team goes on a 10-0 run in a game, there's some ridiculous winning percentage that they have. And that seems to happen an inordinate amount of time to Indiana. And part of that is just you know, college players probably can't handle that level of responsibility um, that you might be able to have from an NBA team. And so you have to be a little bit more active and pushing the buttons and managing the game from the sidelines, you know, until you get a a point guard that you can truly trust. And I'm sure Woody hopes that Jalen can be that guy and hope that the combination of X and Jalen could be that, but we certainly, you know, didn't see that through the first part of the season. So Anyway, good answers, guys. Uh, Doug's question, we kind of answered it. He said, do you think we'll see more of the offensive adjustments that were made in the last 10 minutes of the Kennesaw State game as integral parts of the offense versus Iowa? If so, how would you use race and trace specifically with these adjustments? You guys basically talked about that uh, in segment two. Is there anything else that you would add? Any other things that you would like to see? You know, I know I I don't remember now if we talked about this on the show or before we went live, but talking about starting to run more stuff for the guards. 
You know, guys like Scoop who have really shown that they're, you know, he's becoming a more reliable scorer. Trey has actually, you know, efficiency-wise, he's making his threes. He's hitting some of those floaters. You know, Jalen obviously has had his moments. Um, what in Miller Cop, of course. What would you guys do to get them, uh, you know, more looks, more involved? Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I think, I think this is where Coach and I defer a little bit in terms of just our offensive philosophy. Because I think, Coach, you like to run like a lot of staggers and doubles and, and things like that. Like for me, I'm more of like a dribble drive, open up gaps, attack gaps, and then you have help side and more of a spot. Like I'm more of wanting my guys spot up shoot. Um, and so for me, it's, it's, yeah, opening up the floor, attack gaps, force help, and then attack help, wh- whether that be with the shot or attacking a long closeout. Um, uh, so that's kind of where I'm at in terms of, of getting guys more shots. It's not, you know, it, it, that action might come with like an interchange or something so that help side's not able to, to just stand and stay pat. But, um, I, I'm not as keen on, guys that are coming off doubles and things like that. And that's mainly because I don't drill it personally, like doubles and things like that. And so I know my guys aren't going to be as good coming off of those types of actions. But if they're coming off, if they're doing drills and things where cops coming off screens or Bates is coming off screens, then by all means, absolutely. I think run those types of actions to get guys open looks. It just kind of depends on what they do in practice and, and what their philosophy is there. You, dribble drive motion is the key word for me. Uh, Tony, that the guys are moving with a purpose, whether they're screening involved or not. I'm old-fashioned Bob Knight motion guy. I think screening is a lost art, and cutting is a lost art. Um, but you have to cut, and whether it's screening or or four around one with open lanes and cutting, just a back cut through the through the uh, basket to the other side moves the defense. Um, you know, you dribble at someone, he back cuts, and then you throw it to the wing, and then you inside cut. There's no screen there, but those are moving actions. So, uh, yes, I would love to see more screening, but I'd be right with you if I were your assistant saying, yeah, let's do that. Do an inside cut. Do a sh- what you call those shallow cuts. Do an outside cut where you pass cut through to the corner, fill the top, right? So the offense is moving. Uh, but you're moving with the purpose, and, and it goes back to what I heard on on the game the other night. Cut, move with the purpose, move the defense. The ball has to have energy. The ball for Indiana doesn't have energy. It just it you can play with a deflated ball sometimes, just throwing it in and standing, right? That's my point. So yes, I'm a screen guy, but I would also be awesome if we could just move, just right. cut, and move Miller from one side to the other so he could get that step in three. Um, I think we're so easily guardable. And Woodson has said he likes the guys stationary. He likes them to be there for spacing. And he just, that's that NBA stuff. You're going to draw a double team. You're going to drive and, and help. He prefers stationary. So I, we, you know, I think I got to get used to seeing that at Indiana. That's where I don't think things will change. But at times, Tony, I think he has moved those guys. The floppy action is an yeah. example. The, the UCLA cut they do sometimes with the, Right off the bat, that rub screen feed the post out of the second half. So it's there. I just wonder why it's not out more than than what it is. Yeah, Last I'm, I'm all in oh. on. Yeah, no, I'm just I'm all in on movement. <laughs> yeah, move, move. Like think. I always tell my guys like think of the hardest team we've guarded. What? Why are they hard to guard? They move with a purpose, and and you lose track of them. Like. It's 
yeah, it's just, it's hard to guard movement, and you get tired, and you break down, and those things happen. So um, I'm with you. Hard to guard. There's a quote that an old IU coach would love to hear. I mean, I remember going to his camp, and he said that all the time when he would come out and do the, do his little speeches. Got to be hard to guard. Uh, last question from the chat mom. Are we content with the recruiting strategy as opposed to the way Purdue or Wisconsin seemed to recruit? So before you guys answer, I just want to preface it by saying it's unfortunately difficult to compare Indiana's recruiting with Purdue and Wisconsin because those are two programs that have had established identities for going on 20, 30 years now. You know, so they know exactly what they're looking at. They have a lot of experience with it, and they do a really good job at being Purdue and being Wisconsin. Matt Painter actually had – I love the quote. Coach, I think I might have sent you this, where he said, uh, we don't become you, you become us, <laughs> which is just such a great recruiting philosophy. But also, you have to know what us is. And so the issue for Indiana is going from Crean to Archie and to Woodson. Like, we've been changing our identity so much – you know, the recruiting has kind of reflected that. Now, it does, and, you know, right now, the us that Indiana is on the floor is not what Mike Woodson, I think, envisions it being next year or a few years from now. So to me, it seems like it's a two-part thing. You have to know exactly what your identity is and who you're looking for to fill that. And then you have to have some success getting those guys, reinforce the identity, you know, kind of tweak how you do your evaluations because you realize, okay, this fits a little better than this does. Purdue went through that. You know, Matt Painter had some classes that really failed and he had to kind of go back to, you know, recruiting the way they do. So that's the first part of it is we have to actually have an identity for more than two or three years, you know, to even put ourselves in that kind of conversation with Purdue or Wisconsin who have had that for so much longer, uh, you know, and then we've got to recruit to it. And so it seems like Woody is recruiting to identity, an identity that we don't currently have, but that he wants to establish. And we're just going to have to see how that plays out. Honestly, it's extreme. Like, are we content with it? It feels like it's going in the right direction. We've just seen so many false starts with all this stuff. I, I guess I can't really be content with it, honestly, until we see it a few years down the road. But it seems like it's on the on the right path. He's he's recruiting to a modern style of basketball that wins in March. I mean, yeah. that, those are the types of guys that he's recruiting. When you look at you know, the final fours of the past decade. Sure. There's outliers here and there. Um, but the majority of the time it's big athletic guards that can get downhill. Um, you know, you've got, or leads as you will, you've got wings that, that can penetrate and can knock down at a decent clip from the outside. And you've got mobile bigs, um, that, that can play out of the pick and roll and catch lobs. And those are seemingly the kind of guys that you need to win, deep into March and like Noah those, Clowney. How good correct. would he look on this roster? Lord, <laughs> that, that kid is tough. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's what he's recruiting. And so I'm, I'm absolutely content with his strategy. Now he's got to land him. Um, you know, he, he's cast a wide net and especially in the 24 and 25 classes with some top tiered guys. But, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that, you know, Purdue is, is a phenomenal program. Matt Painter's a phenomenal coach. Um, but I wouldn't say that, you know, recruiting seven foot eight is really like the recipe for winning in March. Or at least it hasn't been yet. That could all be flip on its head, um, you know, in one season. But, you know, historically speaking, I would prefer the way that Mike Woodson's recruiting versus the way Matt Painter's recruiting for the IU program in general. But yeah. Matt Painter's got an identity. 
like you mentioned, for 20 years now. And he recruits to that, and he owns that, and I love that about him. But, you know, I like where Mike Woodson's headed. Final word to so, you, Coach. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, Wisconsin-Purdue will never win the national championship, I don't think. Um, although the question as a fan base is, do you like being in the top four every year like Wisconsin because they recruited to their system and they win games and they make a run here and there, make a Final Four? Uh, Purdue the same way. Um, Purdue's number one team right now. They won't be in three weeks uh, once the Big Ten gets a hold of them because they're not athletic enough um, to make that long run. You're absolutely right. Woodson is recruiting to win in March. The problem with that is you have a higher uh, up and down, hit or miss. When you recruit like Wisconsin, you recruit like Purdue, you're going to be pretty steady because you mold those guys into how you play, and that's a winning style, and it's over and over and over again. It's a dive on your floor. I'm going to knock you out, and I'm going to win, and everyone's going to love you. Um, You're going to have really good runs, and then you're going to have some – you know, look at what Kentucky's doing. They got a ton of stars and can't win, right? And they have a pretty good coach, whether you like him or not. He's he's a pretty good coach. You But you need that to win in March. That's the biggest thing, Tony, where you're 1,000% correct. In order to get to a Final Four and win another banner, you have to have athletes like that. The question for me is, can you combine those two styles? You know, who is the guy for that really was good for North Carolina last year that transferred in from Oklahoma? Brady Manic. Brady Manic. Manic wasn't that athlete, but he shot the ball. He 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 was that that glue guy. You look at the good Duke teams, they always had some guy that was just a little annoying dude that did a lot of good stuff that was a winner. Villanova. Like, Purdue's got a Purdue's yeah. got a lot of winners. They don't have a lot of athletes. But can you combine that? Is it possible to go get those winners in March that you're talking about with a couple of those Purdue type of guys? That'll just do anything. Um, yeah, my, I think that's the recipe if you can do it. I, I I don't know if you can or not with the number of scholarships and how you have to go. Um, Braden Smith would look fantastic in an IU uniform. Like, it's Jordan Hall's. And, and he would be better. in one if it wasn't for the previous regime. <laughs> yeah. So, the segment's for you, Sam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I'm not sold on lawyer. I think lawyer's good where he's at. I don't know, you know, but you're right. I'm happy with Coach Woodson on everything except game night. You know, I I think he's been fantastic uh, except the adjustments and and how he manages uh, game night. And so I don't have a problem with his recruiting. Trust him in that area. Go get some dudes and let's make a run. My my hot take is – that Matt Painter's loyalty to Travion Williams last season cost them a national championship. Like they had the roster, like they had, they had that finally had the athletic guy that was go-to going to get you points in crunch time. Um, and Zach Eady is just an absolute monster that cannot be stopped. And, and he, he's probably in better shape this year and stuff, but he's proven he can play 30, 32 minutes a game. Um, and Travion Williams is a phenomenal player. And that loyalty is, is something to be said, but, I think it's kind of what we talked about earlier with, you know, race and trying to find minutes for him, even if it's not a good fit. Yeah. So, and Edie's just so dominant that it's just, I think that if he played a little bit more, maybe they, they win the national championship. All right. Well, that was a disgusting end to an otherwise good episode of (laughs) radio. Gee whiz. 
Okay, I need to edit all that nonsense out of there. <laughs> uh, you mentioned Kentucky. You know, interesting this weekend they have a bye game against the number two hundred and fifty nine team in the country. So it'll be very interesting to see. Oh, that's the Louisville game. Actually, how <laughs> funny would it be if Louisville beat them? I want so badly for Louisville to beat Kentucky and just see that meltdown. It'd be beautiful. I think this is the first time in the history that Kentucky fans hate John Calipari more than IU fans do. I mean, they're, <laughs> yeah. they are they're hot. Mad. <laughs> they are hot. Yeah. But yeah. IU fans are the ridiculous ones, right? <laughs> yeah. Like we're ruining the program. Give me a break. All right. Uh, on that note, uh, that'll do it for us on this week's edition of the assembly call. If you ever want to see us do the show live and we hope you do join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our assembly call radio recording. Thank you to Bob Thompson for producing our music. Thank you to John Ringer of Rig Design for designing our logos. And, of course, thank you for listening. We will be back next Thursday for the Iowa Post Game Show. Until then. Take it from me, A.J. Moyer. Keep your elbows in, eyes on the rim, and go Hoosiers. All right, I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for coming out. I need a recovery beer. <laughs> Time for a recovery beer. I like it. All right, gents. Tony, thanks for hopping on with us, man. When Absolutely. Ryan Always Ryan got pleasure. his freelance gig. Doing what, whatever what was he's that? doing. What was he doing? Uh, he was watching some high school basketball games, I think, for somebody. I called so. a game last week. That was a blast. Did you? I was nice. How'd that go? It was great. It was uh, you know, I was always on the other side. I was always play by play uh, when I did it in college, and then being color uh, was fun. It was interesting. We were in a studio. We weren't actually at the game. Um, that was also a first. By the way, I forgot to mention. I had this on here, and I forgot to mention it. Doing the work, the women lost their first game against Michigan State. They look to bounce back against Nebraska. Doing the work, crew Jeff and Kathy will be live after the Nebraska game on Sunday. So if you're looking for live reaction. Uh, check them out. You can search for doing the work and get their podcast. Uh, follow them on Twitter. But yeah, they'll be live as soon as that game ends on Sunday. All right, gents. I'm gonna go watch an episode of Succession with my wife. We just started. <laughs> we just started watching it. Nice. So, hey, have you have you determined when you guys are coming into town? Yeah, Purdue game, February. Purdue game. Gotcha. Yep. 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 I I'd probably need to send an actual email about that. We've said it on the show a few times and tweeted it, but I need to. Probably do something more official. So I will do that. Thank you for the reminder. All right, everybody. We will see you later. See you inside. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, everybody. Bye, y'all.